Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Northwest Wild Country on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Hour two here on Sports Radio 950 KJR and on Comcast Sportsnet Northwest. Of course, Joe, as we have mentioned throughout the course of the first hour, it is the first Saturday in June. You know what that? You know what that means? That means uh, I should be sitting on a river fishing somewhere instead of here. To be honest <laughs> yeah. with you, but I enjoy I being here. I love it, man. Thank right, you very much. So. You know, I was worried about the uh, about the pressure. We'll get a we'll get a, a live report from uh, from Big Dwayne D. Dwayne here shortly. But it sounds like it's not a. Sounds like it's not a not a fast and furious day out there where, where he is particularly. Yeah, not gangbusters. But all right, so we've had our heads stuck in salmon management for the past about three months or so. We've it's been all about salmon, 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 salmon. But um, just just as the river never sleeps, neither neither does Steelhead Nation. So thought it was time to uh, to have a a conversation uh, with John McMillan. So during my travels, I have I have gotten into the habit of downloading podcasts because I have to have something to listen to as I'm as I'm flying from point A to point B to point C to point D. One of the most recent that I downloaded was uh, April Vokey's uh, podcast, Anchored. And she had, um, uh, as luck would have it, a guy who we've had here in the studio a little bit and who has been on the phone more than a few times, Mr. John McMillan. John, how are you doing this morning? Good. How about you, Joel? Thanks We're doing, for having me on. Doing well. Doing doing well. Glad to hear your voice. Uh, great podcast with April. Um, if you if you don't already, if you're out there listening or watching in Wild Country Land, if you don't listen to April's podcast, go go take a look at it. It's available on iTunes, and particularly pay attention to the two that she did with McMillan because they were great. Really, really, really good podcast, John. Good information. I think that uh, the cool part about that is that April reaches kind of a, a wider, broader international audience. And so your ability because to, to she's a girl because your ability to speak to a, a bigger, bigger, broader group was a great opportunity. You did a good job. Good podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and I think you know April. April, you know, she's a great host, and as you say, it's nice to be able to really reach out and try and talk to a bunch of people about my favorite subject, which is uh, steelhead. One of the things that the two of you got into a fair amount on, on those two particular podcasts was, was I, I think it was trying to parallel studies that have been done on Atlantic salmon and steelhead. And, and I, think, I think for those of us who kind of exist over here, I have limited experience with Atlantic salmon. I mean, I've fished for them just, just a couple of times in Ireland and in the East, but very, very, very limited. So I don't know a heck of a lot about them. But April obviously uh, took the time to go learn about that particular species because of, of her former television show. And you, of course, as a biologist, have you've studied a little bit of everything from from bass to Atlantic salmon. But walk us through that a little bit. I mean, kind of educate us a little bit as far as some of the things that have been learned in studies of Atlantic salmon that could possibly be applied to to our our, our local West Coast steelhead. Sure, and uh, you're more fortunate than I. I've never been able to afford to travel the East Coast or, or Europe to, to fish for Atlantic salmon, but uh, the science on Atlantic salmon is what I would call much more mature than it is for our steelhead, largely because their populations on the East Coast have been hit so hard, mm-hmm. um, you know, through habitat, overfishing, all these things. So 
in order to really understand the critter, they've spent the past 50, 60 years really diving into the, the biology of these fish. And I think the coolest thing that we see in Atlantic salmon that is a parallel to steelhead that we're just starting to learn about is that when we think about steelhead or Atlantic salmon, we always think about those fish that go out to the ocean. You know, they're, they're four pounds, they're 15 pounds, they're 25 pounds. They're big fish, right? Mm-hmm. And yet there is this component of fish that never go to the ocean. They remain in fresh water, and they'll mature there at a size from about four inches to eight inches in size. And we call these things precocious males. Mm-hmm. Uh, inevitably, all these little little fish that mature at that size are mostly male. And so this has been known in Atlantic salmon for a long time that they have this little component little proportion of the population that matures at a small size and those little males are kind of like spiked deer um mm-hmm. i call them danny devitos <laughs> you know we we have all these we we have this big range in size in humans right and so fish have this other component too a a smaller smaller size fish that just never go to the ocean let, let me ask you on that this is uh joe superfisky superfly hey joe by the way hey on those small fish um, my father was educated in uh, fisheries and has a degree in fisheries, even though he didn't use it. But he told me at one time that those small fish like that that didn't go to sea or those males were basically um, nature's kind of 911 bailout when runs would get hit extremely hard, b- bad ocean conditions or whatever, that those males, since they were mature, could actually spawn Interesting. with females that make it back. Is, do you guys find that true with that? Uh, Joe, I think your dad nailed it, man. That's a great way to put it. You know, they're not only a fail-safe in case populations don't do well. For example, in in the Olympic Peninsula, I live up here on the OP, and uh, doing research out in the Salduck or the Kalawan, what I see is at the very end of the season, like, you know, you have a handful of females returning in June, and there's not very many male steelhead left in June because they spent the last six months beating each other up, yep. you know, trying to fight for the females. And so yep. – we see we see those late season fish, right? They're all fungused up, they're they're beat up, they're weak, and so at that period in time, these little males they're important during the whole season, but they can be really important, like you said, like your dad said, yeah, to provide mates when there might not otherwise be mates for those females. So, so me and you've had to cross paths then because I live out. Oh, I, live, I guarantee you. I live in shirts. Fallujah, but I fish, uh, <laughs> you know, hump tulips, uh, clear yeah. water. Queef, yeah, you and John that. have been on the same stretch of river. John, let's. Let's chat a little bit about some of our local – because, of course, I mean, living where we live and, and being involved in, in kind of the, the, the sorting out process that we're in the middle of right now in relation to salmon, uh, let's let's go ahead and apply that, that same sort of thought process to Puget Sound Steelhead because basically, you know, we would like to kind of – to kind of sort that out, the status of Puget Sound Steelhead. And we're going to start up to the north because when I chatted with you the last couple of days, the first thing you mentioned was the Skagit River. And that that yeah. is that is a system that is near and dear to a whole population of people who would just love the I opportunity to go back there again. Thing. Yeah, we're working hard. I mean, we we you know we think that that Puget Sound, uh, we really need to come up with a vision for how we're going to kind of implement a new way to move forward because we don't have very many good steelheading opportunities uh, in Puget Sound, even though those hatchery genetic management plans were recently approved, which is great, and that's going to provide some opportunity. I think all of us kind of agree that the Chambers Creek programs don't really meet our needs as anglers because they're in the river for such a short period. Mm -hmm. 
But fortunately, we have this river up north, the Skagit, and its runs have been really big in the last five or six years. And it's exceeding its escapement levels, and we think it's time to open it for a well-managed catch-and-release fishery for people. Wow, us sportsmen um, would never know that because we haven't got to fish it. The The <laughs> bottom line is that there have been encouraging signs from the Skagit. But, John, as, as you kind of alluded to, I mean, how, how do we then leverage those signs into kind of a healthy, conservative, sustainable fishery? That, that's kind of the million-dollar question. Yes. It really is because, I mean, there's two ways to think of this. One is we could just jump back right back into the Skagit, not think about how we manage the fishery, and we might end up flogging it to death like we had before. And I'm not saying that we are sportsmen are the problem. It's just that we've seen what's happened to the Olympic Peninsula. I'm sure Joe has seen it, you know, yep. the, the massive number of people that have migrated over here to fish. And so we love having anglers, and anglers are the best advocates for these fish. But I think that how do we move forward in the Skagit is just trying to, first, I think we need to come together as anglers and kind of quit arguing about some of the things that we typically argue about, right? Because we all want to fish. I want Absolutely. to fish. Mm -hmm. And so we need to come together and we need to ask the state uh, to simply start working on getting a fish management plan together to move forward to open the Skagit River. And that's going to mean probably talking with the tribe and all of that. But I think it comes back to we can't let the state or the feds, we can't wait for those folks to do it. We've got to put pressure on them in a positive way by saying we want opportunity, we want to be on the river fishing. And so I, I'm suggesting that people write into the state and, and ask them to start, you know, looking into opening up the schedule. And I know they're doing that, but I think support for that in a positive way could only help them. I agree. I agree. And before I let's talk here, Joe, okay. the one the one thing about this particular species, steelhead, is that uh, it it becomes very important to people in November, December, January, February, and 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 I think that then people get a little bit distracted and go off into. And now look, look, we've talked about nothing but salmon on this show for the past two months. Now's the time to do this. Not not in, not in December. You can do it in December, fine, right? But if if you are going to, as, as John points out, if you, if you're going to to spend a little bit of time in, in you know, spinning a positive message to people who make a difference, you should do it today, it, June, June the 5th or 4th or whatever day it is today. You should do it now. Don't wait, don't wait until December when you're in the middle of the run. And that's totally right. And I think, you know, there's a small chance, based on what we've seen and how things are playing out, there's a very small chance that a fishery could be opened by next winter. More than likely, it's going to be the following winter um, that, that we're realistically looking at a, a fishery being open. But I think you're absolutely right, Joel, that we have to get people sending in letters now, reaching out to people uh, in the department to let them know that we want a fishery, we want it well-managed, we want to work together because we need more opportunity for our anglers. And we've been working on this diligently over the past two years. Let's uh, let's let's move down the the sound a little bit to the Snohomish system, which is an entirely different sort of potential opportunity. Uh, this is one where the hatchery component is uh, is is in place and fairly important. Uh, John, kind of what's your what's your analysis of of what can and should and maybe will be done with the Snohomish system, meaning the sky, the Snoqualmie, and so forth. Well, yeah, in this context, I think our argument has been that, look, the Skagit is all wild population right now, and it's doing really well, and it's kind of like Microsoft or Apple stock or mm -hmm. Caterpillar or, or Boeing, right? It's yep. like this jewel of the sound. So 
we, we, we envision that being this wild catch and release fishery. On the other hand, we think the Snohomish is a great system that the hatchery is operating pretty well in it, uh, in terms of how we measure hatchery success in the sound because of the poor ocean survival. But its hatchery is doing pretty well. It's providing 1,000 to 2,000 fish for harvest per year to anglers, and that is the most successful one in the sound for these early steelheads. So we suggested either leaving the hatchery on that, which is going to still have a shorter season than the wild fishery would mm-hmm. because those fish are mostly you know, done entering after January, or we could shift it to a production broodstock hatchery. So we thought about one of those two options uh, for moving forward. I like, to be honest with you, I like the brood stock. Taking fish from that system that know how to survive in that system, replicating, reproducing, whatever, and that because it always seems to work. Every river I fish down in Oregon does that. You go to the Nestucca, they've been very successful they, with salmon yeah. and steel. They, lo- they love their brood stock programs yeah. in, in that part of the country. John, what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, we didn't really get a chance to, to, to talk too much about broodstock the last time that you were in here, but what's your, what are your, what are your thoughts about just the potential viability of, of that option? Well, and I think it's a, I mean, I think it's a, a potentially viable option. I mean, I, I went to, I did my graduate school in Oregon. I fished the Celeste and the stuff in the stuck and I saw those programs and how they can work. And, um, I would only say this, that when we, we thought at one point in time that the chambers, two things, first mm-hmm. is, in Puget Sound, we have an ESA obligation to recover the fish. So mm-hmm. legally, in order for us to have fisheries, we got to make sure that our wild populations don't go down the tube any further because if they get listed as endangered, then we're, we're screwed. Yep. Yeah, so, so within that context, too, is I think Joe's right, that the, fishery, the fisheries based on broodstock are better because the broodstock tend to enter over a broader period of time. So people are happy, and the, and the fish tend to be more like the wild fish. But... I would remind people that at one time we thought Chambers Creek were the answer, and we spread them everywhere, and then we oh, found horrible. out that after, well, they work, like a lot of these programs, they work really well for the first 10 or 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you see, you start, something happens in there, and I don't want to get into all that, but we know broodstock steelhead don't survive as well as the wild fish, so my only caution is, yes, we support using some of these programs in the right places in the right way, but let's also be sure that we don't put at risk the wild fish Absolutely. to the extent that we had in the past. So it's a balance, right? It's a trade-off. Yeah. Have the program, operate it well, and see what anglers want. And monitor monitor what those anglers are looking at, and then monitor the effectiveness of the, of the program. Well, I think that is, pr- is pretty much where the rubber hits the road, John. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about uh, implementing a broodstock program or basically any sort of, of program, the shotgun approach is is it's proven. That's not the way to do it. I mean, it, it is much more a case of of precision. And the the, the question I have about that is um, the manpower to actually do that. I mean, the the, the thing right. the thing that happens in in the organ fisheries is that there's you know there's the guides association that helps out. There's a lot there's a lot of you know kind of outside department assistance. So. So the reality of, of properly managing the broodstock programs, wherever it is that we decide to put those, that that is the one. I wouldn't say it's it's a it's a, a drawback, but it's a potential it's a potential f- issue to think about before before we move forward. You're you're absolutely right. It's a challenge, and I think guides could probably do it here too. They've done it in other places, and 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 I'm not necessarily concerned um, as long as they're well trained and these guys know how to handle fish and. Yep. 
And um, I, I think what we're looking at really, and you're right, you know, the shotgun approach hasn't worked. And so I think, you know, our approach has been every river has a different solution to providing a fishery. And so let's do what's best for that individual river. And so to us, the Skagit and the Snohomish are kind of the contrasting systems um, within the sound. There's other, of course, you can go further further down to Dwayne's neck of the wood and the Puyallup and such, but we're talking about those north sound streams. So I think you're right. You know, it, it just, it has to be done well, and we need to learn from it because we're not going to have any more opportunities to get Puget Sound right. Here's the thing is, you said something that the state is so has so many problems doing, and that is you have to be flexible for every system. You have to analyze every river system, figure out what's best for it, and adjust to that. You can't just go in with a with a, a burner plate plan and template and say this is what we're going to do here, here, here. You have to build every plan per drainage, and that's that approach is absolutely key to what you said. You're that's brilliant. That's spot on. And if you can do that with the state, I'll stay living here. Otherwise, I'm going to Florida and guiding, <laughs> guiding uh, backcountry saltwater, man. <laughs> Let's, uh, uh, John. Before we before we kick you loose here, let's do a quick reminder of of what you're trying to accomplish uh, with Wild Steelheaders United, of course. And we've talked about the fact, and, and Joe and I have had this conversation off the air about about the necessity. And at this point in in the timeline, the critical, crucial necessity for 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 different user groups inside the fishing industry, not the industry, but just the fishing population, to work as one. Not not work as ten or seven or six or even three, but to work to work as one. That's right. And we've met with CCA and Puget Sound Anglers on this and we're trying to we've met with the tribes. So it's we're meeting with the different groups and we're trying to discuss uh, you know, how to move forward. But from our perspective, we started Wild Steelheaders United, which is uh, wildsteelheadersunited.org. We're on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff that I really don't pay attention to because I'm a little older. But uh, if you don't want to, you know, we ask people to join us because we're trying to start a steelhead army to move forward. And we don't put up with this crap of fly guy hating gear guy and gear guy I'm, hating fly I'm guy. I'm so tired you know? of that as a guide. I'm so tired of that. Me too, Joe, and, and I grew up fishing both. I mostly fly fish. I don't care how people fish. We all we need more anglers. They're the best advocates. If you don't want to join our steelhead army, then we ask that you do join a group or at least become informed on your own river and figure out a solution for how you think you can either get a fishery going or better manage the fish uh, so that the fishery can last into the future so we, we don't end up with another Puget Sound where things are closed and it ends up in the courts. Go to www.wildsteelheaders.org, surf around the website, uh, make the pledge. I mean, bottom line, as, as John has suggested and, and beseeched you, just educate yourself. John, appreciate your time this morning. Uh, we, will, we will definitely open up these studio doors. Anytime you're, you're willing and able to get over here and sit in with us, we, we look forward to the opportunity. And I'd love to have you in my boat sometime, John. I'd love to fish with you one day and talk about all this, definitely. I appreciate it, Joe, and thank thank you so much, you guys. Okay, have a great weekend. Uh, All right, John, you too. Take it easy. Bye. Smart guy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumbacasino.com. Right there, www.wildsteelheaders.org. As he points out, it doesn't really matter what gear you fish, what style of waders you wear, just just... Just get together and be a yeah. part of something positive and yep. work together, man. It's cooperation is so so key. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we will head down uh, south of here in between Seattle and Portland. Talk a little bit about the Columbia River. As we pointed out, uh, we had a reopener on the lower Columbia up to, uh, up to Bonneville for bank anglers, up to Beacon Rock for boat anglers. We'll talk to the guy, Buzz Ramsey. If you want education about the lower Columbia River, this Damn. is the guy. Joins us right here on Sports Radio 950 KJR and Comcast Sports in the Northwest. Northwest Wild Country on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. So as we pointed out in the top of the hour in the Northwest Wild 5, as we tried to kind of scan the Pacific Northwest and choose an opportunity or two that we thought would be at least good but possibly extraordinary, we looked, of all places, the uh, the lower Columbia River. Uh, we have we have been so mired in in bitching and moaning and complaining about uh, what, what we don't have going on up here that we just have kind of I mean I think the Seattle the typical Seattle angler has has somewhat taken their eye off the ball as far as the Columbia goes but uh, but not that, if you have the gear you have the opportunity on on the lower Columbia well, you got to remember the Seattle angler pretty much has been the same angler for a number of years they set their they set their yearly calendar by we're fishing this river this week we're fishing this <laughs> river this week we're fishing yeah. Puget Sound from here to here for blackmouth. We're fishing it in the summer for the. I mean, they basically mm-hmm. spoiled. You know, sure. San Juan Islands. Is t- so mm-hmm. they they've had this really easy, indeed, angling calendar. That is so to speak. Indeed. Whereas now, it's all a muck. It's you, all a mire. You have to be a little bit more creative. And 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 creativity buzz. Here's here's the thing that that excites me about this this particular opportunity is we have uh, we have a summer chinook season to look at, and we have. A steelhead opportunity, which, as Joe and I have have been discussing today, for some reason, uh, I don't believe that the 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 stereotypical Seattle-based fisherman understands just how good that that steelhead opportunity can be. Absolutely. <laughs> Morning, gentlemen. How you doing? Morning. How you doing? Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's chat about that. What do we What do we have to look forward to? Obviously, we had the reopener of the Columbia, the Lower Columbia, uh, yesterday. You can, you can fish from a boat from Beacon Rock down. You can fish from the bank uh, to the Bonneville deadline. What to, What should we look forward to? Well, there's uh, you know, as you probably know, the our listeners probably know if they've looked at the dam counts at all. There's uh, at least two thousand fish a day going over the dam right now, uh, daily. So there are, are you know that leads you to believe there are quite a few fish in the Lower River. The uh, and this is a mix. It's it's mostly spring chinook right now, but it there are uh, summer chinook in the mix, and uh, so they they both kind of intermingle during this couple week time period, and so uh, the 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 fishery down there is one where it's a troll fishery primarily right now, but it'll migrate more as we move along to a to an anchor fishery. It seems like summer chinook respond best to anchoring techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, certainly up near the dam, you can catch them back trolling. Uh, now the dam isn't open right now; it's only open up to Beacon Rock. So that's a typical downstream troll thing down the lower river, like Kathlamet, Longview area. Those areas offer opportunity, of course, for Chinook and summer steelhead. And basically, the difference is that the steelhead usually run pretty tight to the shoreline. I mean, they can be in four, six foot of water, pretty tight to the shoreline, little points, little rocky points. 
Anglers use plugs. They anchor fish with plugs. Maglip 3035, uh, X4, X5, U20 flatfish, red, orange, uh, orange with a black dot, or some of the couple of the really hot colors down there, um, maybe Misty River. Um, the other big deal is spin glows for those summer steelhead. They, uh, you know, a number four spin glow with a with a coon shrimp on it on the hook is what a lot of anglers use, both bank and boat anglers. Uh, for those that don't have boats, uh, the Columbia River bars on the lower river this time of year offer some excellent opportunity for summer steelhead. Let's uh, uh, let's 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 pull those two apart really quickly here, Buzz. I would like you to define for the the Seattle guy who doesn't necessarily know the Columbia River all that well. Sort of, I I, I don't want to say simplicity of the summer steelhead, uh, the steelhead opportunity. But it it really is it really is like relatively a relatively easy fishery, is it not? Absolutely. Some of the catch rates down there, especially as we you know this run just continues to build. You know, remember we've got I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but they're pretty good numbers of summer steelhead headed to the tributaries that enter into the Lower Columbia. There's the, almost every tributary in Lower Columbia has a run of hatchery steelhead coming back. And then you've got an upriver bound run that will probably end up being at least 300,000, of which a lot of those are in the lower Columbia right now staging. And uh, the lower river right now, water temperatures are cool, fish bite well. You don't have to cast far. These fish are in, like I say, the steelhead are in fairly shallow water. So any of the bars along that lower Columbia, Woodland Bar, you know, um, many of the traditional places where anglers uh, bank fish, they can catch those summer steelhead just by casting out a, a buoyant spin glow and, and let it sit there and do its thing in the in the current. But they do put a coon shrimp on the hook, and that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. And uh, and for the boat anglers, it's finding those little points, four, six foot of water, uh, maybe eight foot, but a lot of it, I mean, up to 20, really. But in a lot of those areas there, particularly in the morning when the light is low, those fish are in tight. And uh, and that's a pretty easy fishery. A person wants to use their graph really to find those little points and those. Uh, of course, you can generally see those from the surface, but you want to see those little. You want to anchor so your gear is right on that little drop off where it drops back off into slightly deeper water. Hey, Buzz, uh, Joe Superfisky here, Superfly. Um, the one time I went down there last year and did that, I was I was shocked at number one how shallow the water was we were fishing in. And then two, how close to shore. And then the next thing is the guy I was with, he had he had it set up for how we fished on the tide. We were fishing. There's a bridge that goes across. I think it's pretty close to Cath Lamet there. But when the tide, we first got in the water, the tide was slack, so we couldn't put stuff out of anchor. We fished coon shrimp under a bobber, and we would just it was actually going pushing upstream to start off with, and, like, and we caught eight to ten fish. I think we had it set at about six or eight feet from the stop to the coon shrimp. And he goes, well, when the tide's this way, we do it like this. And it, it was kind of like trout fishing, you know, in the lake or, or panfish or whatever you want to call it. And then as soon as the tide started running, we put the spinning glow out. And we had two spinning glows and two coon shrimps at two different depths. And, mm-hmm. and like I was, I was telling Joel, it was ridiculous. I mean, I'd never seen steelhead fishing so easy in my life. I'm like, how come there's not a thousand guys down here doing this, you know? Just, you got it, it. It was just this amazing is, to me. This is an underutilized fishery by far. I oh mean, there's God. real opportunity here for gorgeous fish, and these things are chromers, you know. Brushed in from the salt. Yeah, and they got sea lice on them, and they are like, whoa, good looking. A lot of them are 8, 10, 12 pounds. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and it's not unusual, especially, especially right now when there's a lot of those Scamania stocks, Summer Steelhead in the lower Columbia, to catch a fish that's 15, 16, maybe 17 pounds. So, uh, yeah, they're... It's a, it's a real opportunity. So yeah, let's uh, let's <laughs> let's shift our gears back over to uh, I guess you would call the the, the the glamour species of the river. So um, let's look ahead to the summer Chinook opportunity buzz. What's what's kind of our, our run through there? Well, sh- summer Chinook they tend to run up the river a little deeper. They're uh, you know they like that you know, in the morning when the light's low. Typically, if you you know if you had a hog line anchored in progressively deep water from let's say twelve foot out to twenty five. In the morning, the bite might be in there. You know, when the light's low, those fish might be in there pretty tight, you know, 14, 15 foot of water. Um, and then as the – you can see it. Those fish, the migration trail, you know, those fish are nose to tail migrating up the Columbia. And you can just see the bite move out the hog line as the, as the day progresses, you know, because those fish, the only they don't have eyelids. <laughs> we all know that. And so <laughs> the only way they can uh, – they can control the amount of light going in their eyes is by where they're positioned, and so they tend to move out in that deeper water. But usually, I I won't start if I'm targeting Chinook. I'm 14, 15 foot, about as shallow as I want to be. It's they run these summer Chinooks seem to run a little bit deeper than Springers. Of course, there's still a lot of Springers in the Lower River right now, but but uh, I'll typically start right in there, and then I'll chalk over or move out if I can and get into that deeper water as the day progresses. Of course, an anchor fishery, you've got to watch your tides, and uh, those tides change depending on where you are in the, in the river. Um, it's A large part of this is uh, an anchor fishery, particularly as we move more and more into summer Chinook. But the fish, these fish will bite trolling, and, uh, and, they, and even in some of these deeper water areas, when that tide goes slack, they'll come up, um, you know, come up. They tend to come up in the water column. You know, when the tides are running hard, they don't want to battle the current, so they move into the edges. As the tide, as the tide slackens, they tend to, if they're in deep water, you know, trying to escape the current, get underneath the strong current, then they'll they'll come up in the water column, and you can uh, an angler's going to have success doing a downstream troll on that flood tide. So that shouldn't be overlooked either for kings. Buzz, I want you to hold on for just one second. We're going to take a super quick. Uh, break. We want to continue to, to kind of run through this fishery. I also want to ask a little bit about uh, Columbia Gorge opportunities. We have a giveaway, folks. Uh, we promised that we were we were going to give away a couple of prize packs. We have a Yakima a bait prize pack here. Caller number five, caller number seven. Simple deal. We're going to give away two prize packs. Caller number five and number seven. Give us a call at 800-829-0950-206-286-9595. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up with uh, Buzz Ramsey right here on Sports Radio 950 KJR and Comcast Sportsnet Northwest. Northwest Wild Country on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. I'm going to try hard not to let this uh, conversation deteriorate into uh, into a chat about uh, deer hunting and elk hunting because, oh, as, as Joe, as I were talking off the air, that uh, Buzz also likes to, to kill things starting in like September. But yeah, we'll we'll just hold back for now. We'll oh, talk come about. Come on, man! <laughs> Wyoming mule deer. Let's go. We'll. Uh, We'll go ahead and continue on our discussion of the uh, the Columbia River and Buzz. You you had uh, expressed the desire to chat about a fishery that that uh, that the people people should look forward to. June the sixteenth is a is a fairly significant date. Well, why is that? Well, certainly this you know in all likelihood the season is going to extend till then. Now the departments all you know I mean we're they're going to monitor our catch rates and and they could there could be a little blip in this before the sixteenth. But but one thing I want to mention is. This summer Chinook run, last year, 
we had, of course, uh, really hot weather for a prolonged period, and the Columbia got really warm. Uh, the, you know, I mean, fish were dying because it was so warm. But the summer Chinook fishery, as those fish were flooding into the Columbia, they were reluctant to move upstream, and there was a real buildup of Chinook right there at the in the estuary. And the river on the sixth now, right now the river is open from Tongue Point East. And but June sixteenth, the deadline, western deadline, will move to the Astoria Megalith Bridge. And everybody's just waiting to see yeah. if there's gonna be a, a a similar situation this year. Perhaps it was there all along and just a lot of us just didn't know about it. But last year that fishery for Summer Chinook down there, east of just east of the Astoria Megalith Bridge, was off the chart good. Uh, it started with just four or five boats and ended up with, I don't know, 100 or more uh, down there, trolling buoy stand 10 style, you know, fish flash and a herring or a spinner. And But they were quick limits for these beautiful summer Chinook, which, uh, of course, you know, they're, they're 20, 25, 30. You might even get a 35, 40 pounder. Maybe there's a few 50s caught every year. So that will, that opportunity, and, and by the way, there are bathtub tides about that time, which usually causes the fish to build up in the estuary, the numbers to build in the estuary. And then as those tides build, those fish funnel through there. So Boom. everybody's everybody's kind of waiting to see, well, that's well, June 16th. I'm hustling down there. I'm going to go try it, and, and, uh, and I'm probably going to be one of them. Well, you take a look at the uh, at the weather that we have, the immediate weather that we have. I mean, I I, I think we have expectations of, of weather in the 90s today in Portland the next couple of days. It's, it's wow. going to be hot. So the conditions that you described from last year, Buzz, of, of a kind of an inordinately warm late spring, summer, could they could they could shape up. It could shape up. I, I think, you know, I don't know that we'll see the extreme temperatures probably in not. Columbia probably not. like we did last year. Pro- probably not. But but, uh, but at any rate, uh, those anglers that are, tack- you know, hitting the, hitting the water for summer steelhead opportunity and, and uh, spring and summer Chinook opportunity right now, yes, there's great opportunity out there. But on that 16th, there is going to be some real focus probably down there just between, you know, right above the Astoria Megler Bridge. And anglers need to know that there's some real opportunity there. I mean, that was, I mean, we went down there and it was like limits. I mean, I'm serious. It was, it was really good. And uh, summer Chinook are, are, you know, they're potentially bigger than spring Chinook. Mm-hmm. They're not all big. They come in all sizes mm-hmm. because there's real mixing of your classes. But, but uh, they are, they're, they're beautiful, not a scale out of place, uh, wonderful, wonderful fish, uh, you know, some people uh, would say they would care when comparing them to spring chinook as far as eating quality. They'd say, "Well, they might be a notch lower, but they're really good." <laughs> well, I, I think when uh, when I show when I show you know friends of mine from across the country sort of a, what I consider kind of a, a prototypical perfect chinook, that's kind of where, that's kind of where I mean, not in the salt water. That's kind of where I go. That's just that's just that's just the place to go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so anyhow, that's uh, that's an opportunity too. We'll see what happens. Maybe it won't be much, but. But uh, everyone's thinking that it it could be and and uh, yeah. So before we uh, before we bail out of here, we've got a couple more minutes, Buzz. Let's uh, let's chat a little bit about uh, the uh, Columbia River Gorge tributary fisheries. What are your thoughts on that? Well, there's uh, you know the, the I drove by the wind in Drano yesterday. There wasn't an angler in sight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was two boats on Drano. Normally they do pretty good this year, but this time of year, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, there really wasn't anyone in there. Now, some guys, that both those fisheries offer some opportunity for Chinook right now 
in the evening, those Chinook tend to, the Chinook at the wind tend to move in near the railroad bridge, right there at the, right there where the river, you know, passes underneath the railroad bridge just before dark. Mm-hmm. And there's a little, from the bank, uh, you know, cast out and plunk a, a shrimp or a bait of eggs or combination. And, and also in Drano, they tend to back down from the hatchery deadline, or you can't fish, back down into kind of the arm that extends up there. And there's a pretty good little evening uh, uh, bait fishery right there. And you can catch them trolling too, but there's so many, but this becomes so popular that usually there's not room to troll. So though, there is some opportunity there. I didn't drive by there in the evening to see how many people were participating, but I know earlier, just a, just 10 days ago, there was a pretty good effort there, and they were doing pretty well, according to my reports. <laughs> you know what, Buzz? I used to fish that, um, besides fishing up in the river um, in June, May and June, I used to fish there in the bay, basically the Bay of the Wind there, out of my drift boat religiously for years until the numbers in the fishery got so bad, you know, it got went downhill so much. But I used to go and fish that in the evenings because I hated getting up so early. I'd go and fish it in the evening. I'd drive down there fish it in the evening. We always limited bobber fishing, though, out in the bay. We'd follow the old we'd follow the old river channel, and we'd just pick different spots along there, you know, anchor up and bobber fish, set our stuff at about 12 feet. Um, eight to 12 feet, but then we also used to fish off that railroad, you know, ca- basically fishing like we were fishing power bait or something, you know, casting eggs and shrimp yeah. out and just let it sit on the bottom and they'd pick it up. And it was great fishing. So I'd already be down there. So then getting up the next morning, I didn't have to get up at two, you know, I could sleep until four. Oh, it's the evening. Uh, the pressure is a lot less in the evenings. And yeah, it's a bobber fishery or they do float bait up off the bottom, just like kind of, like you said, just like fishing power bait for trout, except yeah. they're, they're trying to get their bait to float up. So they might use a, Couple cor- couple large corkies or a spin glow or something to get their baits to float up. Yep, Buzz, it's always it's always a pleasure to check in with you. The time always passes way way too fast. But uh, June 16, we've got we've got it marked on our calendars. But I, I expect Definitely. to see you down there. Okay, sounds great, fellas. Thanks right, a man. lot. Yeah, have a good day. Yeah, bye. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this morning. Thanks to Joe Superfisky, Superfly, for uh, the the emergency uh, uh, replacement uh, uh, duty here. Did a hey, great job. Hey, man, I, uh, I appreciate it. I love coming in Did a great and job. out with you guys. Definitely. We'll be back here same time next week. I'll, I'll be gone again. Back By the way, new website. Go to www.bassnomad.com. I have officially gotten cool. the Bass Nomad website up. Just take a look at it. It's good Very stuff. Very cool. I guess we'll see you next week. No, I won't. Dwayne will. Dwayne will be back in this seat. Who knows? Well, who knows who's going to be yeah, in the studio? Yeah, I think he. Uh, I think it might be up again. Hopefully, who, who knows? Cool. Never know. We'll see you same time, same place, right here on Sports Radio 950 KJR and Comcast Sports in the Northwest. Peace. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.